hold on. If you can advance those for me, please. A server of tables or a duster. We've got two pictures here to give this illustration. One who serves tables, and then we have one who is stirring the dust. A person who was not stirring the dust in the master's house was not considered to be a faithful servant. Certainly a much glamorous position or less glamorous position or name for those who are truly servants in the body of Christ. Yet a step back into history, I believe, reveals that the true church of Jesus Christ does not rise on the backs of those who would be lords, for this does not reflect the steps of the Savior. It does so with servants who serve. This is required of everybody who actually serves within a church. Peter certainly had to learn this the hard way, didn't he? But in the end, he became a man who not only loved the Lord, but he became a man who loved God's people. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, we read these words, For to you, or for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You see, the Bible requires us to follow in the steps of the Savior who was first and foremost a servant. He came to serve and he also came to give his life a ransom. Too often we go into church or in various aspects of our life and what is it that we're told within the common culture, the society in which we live? Pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, be able to achieve great things with your life. And yet the Bible is very clear. It's not the one who lifts themselves up. It's the one who actually is willing to think less of themselves that God honors. We are told both in the book of James chapter four, as well as in first Peter chapter five, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. This rugged fisherman, Peter, went from wanting to be the first in all things to being a servant. I believe that he would actually be appalled to know that history has elevated him to a position that Christ never gave him. Peter, like the Apostle Paul, probably would have argued and said that, yes, I am the chiefest of sinners. Peter knew what it was to be a sinner. He knew what it was to be a leader in the early New Testament church, but he was just one amongst many. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning when we looked last week at the word usage in the New Testament is it refers to one who is a servant, one who serves or one who gives service. Is that what you and I give today? What kind of service do we give? Are we part of the culture today whereby uh, everybody thinks that they have to have a participation trophy? Or are we those who are willing to serve even if it means not getting any kind of recognize recognition or any kind of advancement. You see, the early New Testament church had a completely different concept when it came to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in the first century church, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were immediately then baptized as a testimony of your faith in Christ, not to gain salvation, 
But the very next week, you could find yourself in the Colosseum being food for the lions. What a difference that we have come to within our lives here in the 21st century. You see, the New Testament church was truly committed. In fact, we were talking about this in our men's meeting on, uh, on Thursday evening as we're going through the book of Hebrews. I think that too often the first 19 or 20 centuries of church history certainly revealed a different church many times than what we see today. We also looked at the kinds of service that are found in the New Testament. We saw the general service whereby, for example, in John chapter 2, whereby those who were serving the tables, they were willing to come and do what the Lord Jesus Christ asked of them in filling up the water pots, which Jesus then turned into wine. This was a general service that was required, and it's found throughout the New Testament. But more importantly than those who are serving the tables or the general service was the spiritual service. And here we saw a believer's role as a servant. It is not just the pastor. It is not just the deacons. It is not just Sunday school teachers who are called to be servants. It is every believer who is called to be a servant. And in our spiritual service, we are not just to give support work, but spiritual work. We talk about the bucket that we have up here, or we saw the OCC video that we have given and that many have given down through the years to Operation Christmas Child. The spiritual work that we give is giving what we have to God as he leads to us to do and then turning it over to him for the results. Thirdly, we saw that spiritual service is actually any act of obedience. Any act of obedience that we do on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ do you remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And what does Isaiah say after he has been cleansed? His lips have been cleansed. And what does he say? Lord, here am I. Send me. Are we willing to be sent like that? Are we willing to do what God requires of us, even if it means getting out of our comfort zone? We have talked and we have supported missionaries here. And do you realize that every one of those people who have served as missionaries who have gone, they have all had to leave family, friends, maybe the comfort of a home that they own here. In all of these areas, what do they do? They say, Lord, your rewards in heaven are worth more than the earthly rewards. The rewards that are laid up in heaven are far greater than anything that we can have here. What a sad day that we find here in Christianity. There, there are still, there are even more today that are, that are lost and who are without Christ in the world today than there have ever been at any point in history. And yes, I recognize Matthew chapter seven that says that, that wide is the way that leads to destruction and everybody is already on that path from the moment of birth. And I also recognize that the way to heaven is narrow and there are very few who will find that way, but that does not relieve us of our responsibility in fulfilling the Great Commission to make sure that we go out and witness and share the good news with all creatures. To see them baptized, to disciple them, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of the church. Church is not for the purposes of getting together to be able to have like a social club. There are plenty of social clubs that are out there. 
Church is for the purpose of focusing our minds so intently on eternity that when we leave from here after hearing a morning message and we see God in his word high and lifted up, it should give us a longing to be willing to go out and say, Lord, if today is the day that you return, so be it. So in this last message on deacons, we come then thirdly to the qualifications of a deacon. The qualifications to be a deacon. This is broken down just as it is within the realm of an elder that we found in the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as in the book of Titus chapter 1. This is broken down into two areas. Number one is the personal character of a deacon. Look again at verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So there are four things that we want to see here quickly. Number one, in their personal character, they have dignity. This word simply means to be worthy of respect, to be serious-minded, not treating serious matters in a light-hearted fashion. This should be true of all true believers, though. We should all be aspiring, as I have shared with you before, men, every man who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a member of this church, you should have a desire to be able to move towards that set of standards. This is not just a set of standards for the pastor or the deacons. It should be for every man to be able to aspire to a higher or to be able to aspire to an office, to a higher level of servanthood within the church. Now, unfortunately, within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see this, you can go turn on the TV or, or go look on the internet. There's all kinds of jokes and stuff that are going on uh, from, from the pulpit. And, and there are people of all levels who are involved in this to the point where we have looked at this not too long ago, where now you've got people who are dressing up as clowns standing on the platform. Or you have churches that are so big that they're building that, that they're building roller coasters in the middle, or or they're building beds, or 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 to be able to have some kind of study, if you will, on things like the Book of Song of Solomon. That's not worthy of respect. And while a deacon is not required to be able to teach, he must be able to have the ability to teach. And to do this, to be able to, to have the respect of the congregation, to be serious-minded enough that he recognizes how serious God's word is. You see, this is what we've talked about, First Peter chapter 3, that we are to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us of the reason of the hope that is within us, but with meekness and fear. Do we know God's word that well? Do you know God's word that well? Dignity. Secondly, to not be double-tongued. This is a person who says, James chapter 4 says, be wary of a person who is double-tongued. This is somebody who says a thing to one person and something different to another. Rather, a deacon is called to be consistent and righteous in their conversation. Now, again, th this is not easy for any of us to do because we don't like the standards that God places on us in a, in, in a congregation. We like to have a worldly standard instead of having a biblical standard. 
And I think that it is important as we move forward into the future and as we look and we build on the past that has been here and the foundation that has been built, built down through the years here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, that we make sure that what we are saying to one is what we're saying to another. To be righteous in our conversation. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. If you ever wonder whether there's something that you should say, this is a great verse to memorize. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. That's the first requirement. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul continues to the Philippian church and he says, what you have learned, what is he speaking of? He's talking about these things that he has just written to them in this book this short little epistle of four chapters, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I've said this multiple times before, down through the years of my ministry, don't set your eyes on a man because man will let you down. Set your eyes on Christ because Christ will never let you down. There are going to be things that you and I are probably going to disagree with down through the years of my ministry. But that doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them wrong. But what we should be asking is, are these things that we are doing biblical? That's the standard. This is what Paul is talking about to young Timothy. Be consistent, be righteous in your conversation. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, go over one chapter, look at verse 12. He is speaking to Timothy here, 1 Timothy 4.12, and he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Do you see the standard that is set there? It's a pretty high standard. While we have covered this before under the responsibility of a pastor or an elder, the third point in his personal character is not addicted to much wine. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, I believe, is the operative verse that we are speaking of here, where Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says that we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in the way that a drunkard is controlled by their alcohol. In the personal character of a deacon, this is somebody who is noted for sobriety, somebody who is not abusive in the way that they respond, either within their family or in the workplace. To be not addicted to wine is not just a matter of whether you drink alcohol or not. It's a matter of who controls your life. Does the Holy Spirit control your life? Or does the world have sway over your life right now? We've been talking with, with Brother Gabe and he's been sharing in, in, the, in the Thursday classes and doing a very good job. And we heard this as well from Brother Jeff last week when he was talking about obedience. We don't like obedience. As Christians, we want to be able to set our own standard. We want to be, want to be able to do what we want to do 
regardless of the consequences. Fourthly, and the deacon's personal character, the qualification is one who is not fond of sordid gain. First Timothy chapter three, again, in verse eight at the end, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, there is nothing wrong with somebody being able to have wealth. Praise the Lord for that. God chooses to give some wealth and he chooses for some to be poor. You can go to any third world country and you will find there are a lot of people who live well beyond what or well below the line of which we think we would have to have to make ends meet here in America. The question here is, if somebody is responsible for church funds, they must be men whose sole goal in life is not monetary and who handle their finances in a Christ-honoring manner. Now, we talk about, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Maybe this will help clarify it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. There are a lot of people who misquote this passage of Scripture. Paul says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let's pause here before we get to verse 10. Do you remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? What did he tell him? Go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. Was it that Jesus actually expects us to be able to sell everything like several have done down through the centuries and, and gone and lived a, a, a very uh, uh, hermit-type existence or life living in a cave somewhere? No. The point was that this rich young ruler, his God was not the God of heaven. His God was the God of money. That was the issue. Do you know that there are a lot of people down through the years and my dad and I, and maybe some of you have been involved in, in churches. And I can tell you that there are many people who said, well, you know, after I've done what I want, after I've lived the way that I want, after I've made all the money that I wanted, want to make, then I'll serve God as a missionary. Or I'll serve God as a Sunday school teacher or as, as an elder or as a deacon in the church. no. The Bible says that God wants the best that we can give him. Now, what does that mean if you've come to faith in Christ a little bit later in life? Or, or maybe you've lived your life in such a way that you regret some of the things that you have done. God is a God of forgiveness. Seek his forgiveness and move forward right where you're at right now. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6 and let's read the last verse in verse 10. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is, doesn't say the root of all evil, does it? It's actually the love of money is a root or a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I would challenge whether you are young or old, to trust God with what he gives you. Be content with such things as you have. God is the one who blesses. 
God is the one from whom promotion comes. It doesn't come from the East nor from the West. It comes from the Lord. If God chooses to promote you in your job, accept that with grace. If he doesn't choose to promote you at this time, also trust him knowing that he is sovereignly in control of your life. He may know something about that situation that you don't right now. I've been in that situation before. It's like, no, I was the one that deserved that promotion. Well, if we are actually following the scriptures and we are learning not to think of ourselves more highly as we ought to think, then we will remember that God puts us where he wants us for the time that he wants us. Financial gain can corrupt a person if they are more focused on financial gain than they are in spiritual gain. Setting their affections, as Paul told the church at Colossae, setting their affections on things below instead of things on the earth. This is why Paul tells us to put these things aside so that we might be prepared for eternity. For those of you who have ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, you will know what a beautiful story. How many of you have never read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, a few of you have never read it. That should be, apart from the Bible, that should be the number one book that every Christian reads. Pilgrim's Progress. It, 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 it gives through allegorical format. It gives the path of a Christian and all of the things that he struggles with. And eventually at the end of the story, he crosses or he comes up to the Jordan River, which is a representation of death. It's a representation of what is going to come. He doesn't know what's on the other side. He only knows that God is there. And he walks down into the water. And the water eventually comes up to his ankles and then it comes up to his knees and then it crosses up to his waist. And he says, oh, brother, because somebody is walking over with him. And he says, oh, brother, I am afraid. I, I am not sure what is going to happen to us. And he says, just keep your eyes on the Lord. And he crosses over to the other side. And of course, that's where the story ends because John Bunyan didn't want to speculate about what life was like in the eternal hereafter. There are so many things that we have in this life that just keep us captive. And instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we end up focusing on the world and our eyes get distracted, even if it's just a little bit, and we turn away from the cross. And the world offers us all of its glory. And we think we have to have it. Secondly, not just the personal character of a deacon, but there's a spiritual matter that has to be dealt with. Number one, in verse nine, they are to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This means to have convictions that are based on the knowledge of true biblical doctrine. He must be able to hold to the faith and apply the truth of the word to all practical dimensions of life. We have already spoken this of this again from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And yet this qualification is not merely involving one's beliefs where he must hold these beliefs with a clear conscience. That is, the behavior of a deacon must be consistent with his beliefs, just as it is for an elder. I've used this illustration before of the young man who, was de who deserted Alexander the Great's army. And in the heat of battle, he was just a young man. He was maybe 15 or 16 years old, and he is brought before Alexander the Great. 
And the punishment for desertion in the Greek army during time of battle was death. And as he cowered before Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great began to have pity on this young man as he was told by one of his generals that the young man was the only son of his mother. And so as he stares at him, he finally speaks and he says, Alexander the Great says, young man, what is your name? The young man says, Alexander. And he said, what did you say your name was? He said, Alexander, sir, standing to a little bit more of attention. And he asked him a third time, and he said, young man coming up off of his throne as he sat there in the battlefield, and he said, what did you say your name was? And he stood ramrod straight, and he shouted out, my name is Alexander, sir. And Alexander looked at him, and he said, son, either change your conduct or change your name. That's where you and I are at as Christians. We need to realize that if we are going to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, if we are going to claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to claim to be his children, we need to live in such a way that our life is consistent with what we say we believe. There are some people who probably would do well to drop the name Christian from their life because their life doesn't resemble Jesus Christ. It resembles the world. A deacon is also to be tested. Verse 10, deacons are to be proven faithful in serving the Lord. Let them first be proven to see if they are themselves blameless. Now, we're not talking about somebody who is perfect in every way, but we are saying that this individual is living in such a way that there is nothing that stands between them and God on a regular basis. They are seeking forgiveness for their sin when they sin. They are striving to point others to the Savior. They must be faithful in serving the Lord. The word blameless here is a general term, and it actually refers to a person's overall character. And although Paul doesn't specify what type of testing is to take place, at a minimum, I believe that the candidate's personal background, their reputation, their theological positions should be examined. Moreover, as one commentary noted, the congregation should not only examine a potential deacon's moral, spiritual, and doctrinal maturity, but they should also consider the person's track record of service in the church. I believe that this is important because a person who is not willing to serve, if they're not showing, if you are not showing yourself as being a servant within the church, you shouldn't have the title or the position to go with it. Fourthly, a deacon should be morally pure in every way. Deacons here, as we have already discussed with the role of elders, they should be a one-woman man. In other words, these men are in the process of being above reproach. Do you and I live in such a way that we are above reproach? Can people look at us and, as the saying has often been stated down through the years, if you were to be put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you?
And then finally, a deacon's qualification is that he leads his family well. The implication here is that the deacon is a good manager in all areas, in his family, in his church, in his job, in every aspect of his life. He knows how to manage what God has entrusted to him with. And again, this points back to being a steward. Moreover, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The wife of a leader, number four. This is found in verse 11. And I believe the term here, their wives likewise, this is not just referring to the wives of a deacon. This is also referring to the wives of elders. And I believe that there are too many churches that forget that while the role of an elder or deacon is vital to the well-being of a congregation, the vast majority of those in these positions also have a wife and maybe even a family. Proverbs says that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What a blessing to know when we have somebody who is serving alongside us to be able to, through the good times, through the bad times, through the indifferent times, that we have somebody who's standing there, who is, who is praying with us, who is walking beside us. But in order to serve faithfully, a wife of a deacon or an elder can either be a blessing or a trial for a man called to serve the Lord. Some of you may have heard the name John Wesley. We've sung many of his songs, John and Charles Wesley. Do you know that John and Charles Wesley were married for 30 years and only lived together for seven of those years? In fact, John Wesley's wife used to come to the church where he was preaching, would stand at the back of the church when he preached and would scream obscenities at the crowd. And yet God used John Wesley. On the other hand, anybody here know the name Adoniram Judson? Okay, handful of you do. Adoniram Judson's wife, Anne, was probably the reason that, probably the only reason why he even made it through a Burmese prison. During his time of imprisonment, he would actually be strung up against the wall and shackled by his thumbs up against the wall and held in place just barely being able to touch the floor on his tiptoes. And she would stand outside the prison window and she would whisper this, Adoniram, Adoniram Judson, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. What a difference between those two women. Do you know that it would be six years before Adoniram Judson actually saw his first convert? And in six more years, having spent 12 years in Burma, he would, have, he would only have a total of 18 believers in 12 years of work. Before his death, Adoniram Judson wrote in his diary, he said he had a desire to be able to translate the Bible into the Burmese language. And his second goal was that he would see 100 converts 
Before he died, Adoniram Judson had planted 63 churches. And there were over 7,000 converts in Burma. What a difference this man and woman made in the cause of Christ because they were willing to be servants. You see, the wife of a leader is one who should be dignified. This simply means one who is honest, who is, who is reverent in her deportment, honorable, grave in all things. The wife of a leader should be one who is not a slanderer. This means one who is prone to slander or accusing falsely, not finding the truth and sharing the wrong things. Thirdly, the wife of a leader should be one who is sober-minded. The word here simply means to have no addictions or to have things that are destructive in her life, and she is basically guiding her family at home well. This leads us to being faithful in all things because the Bible commands this person that they are to be faithful, and the reference here is actually in their salvation to know that they have a walk with the Lord. This is vital. Let's wrap this up this morning by looking briefly at the portrait of a deacon. I want you to turn with me to one more passage in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here, and he says this, verse 26. It shall not be so among you, he's speaking about those who have lorded over others as the Gentiles do, verse 25. And he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your, and here he uses the correct Greek word must be your slave, a bond slave, somebody who is totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody who is willing to say, Lord, no matter what it costs, I will do your will. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did? He came and he was willing to say, Father, not your will be done, but, or not my will be done, but yours be done. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we've looked at this before, and I have shared that I believe that deacons are to be qualified with elders equally in their character and in their spiritual life. But again, the one major difference is the ability to be able to teach. Deacon is not required to teach within a congregation, but he would have the ability to be able to do so should the need arise. You see, the deacon's role is one of administration, of of helping to care for the flock. And, And while their primary function is not teaching, they are no less spiritually qualified. They are no less honored. They are to be no less respected. 
But the role is that they are to relieve those who are more skilled in teaching to be free so that they will be free, the elders, to pray and to study. This is what we find in the book of Acts chapter 6. So how would this be done? Number one, I believe it requires faithfully supporting and participating in church services and activities. I'm thankful for each one of you coming. And I know that some of you have, uh, you know, you can't because of work or what other uh, things that are going on in your life. But I believe that it is important that we support our church, not just the pastor and his family. Secondly, I believe that it also involves the use, overseeing the use, the care and maintenance of the buildings and grounds. When we were in England, we had a problem with our building. And I remember telling the congregation, if we do not change our bylaws to reflect what the Bible says in regards to marriage, it was going to come back and bite us because in England, the building is actually the one that is consecrated. And so they can have a wedding and anybody that if you have a consecrated building, eventually somebody, for example, two men or two women wanting to get married can actually come in and they can request your building. And without that being in your bylaws, it was going to come back to haunt you. And I remember the flack that we received for trying to introduce something as simple as what defines a biblical marriage. I mean, and this is 22 years ago. My dad was showing me just this last week. We've got a book that we are reading on being a pastor of a church. And so my dad actually pulls up the church. And this man who is a godly man who wrote this book many years ago would probably turn over in his grave if he saw what was actually going on because right on their homepage, right on the front are rainbow flags everywhere. Now, it is not that we hate those who live that particular type of lifestyle. We hate the lifestyle, but I believe it's important, Brother Gabe and I have been talking, we, we should also hate any kind of lifestyle that goes contrary to God's word. There are many churches that ignored. I had the privilege of being able to speak in front of a group of of, of people at the Baptist Association that we were a part of. It was kind of a loose association. And I remember speaking and I shared these same things with them and most of the churches ignored it. Some of those churches today have now closed down because they didn't listen. A deacon should be alert to the physical needs of the church family, assisting the elders in meeting those needs. Now, of course, we know in the New Testament times, they didn't have welfare like they do now. This is one of the reasons why I believe we have a hospitality team and we should be able to put it to good use. And, and if you have needs within your life that we as a congregation can help to be able to meet, please reach out to us and let us help you. That is a privilege that we have to be able to serve you if we're bringing you food or whatever it may be that you have a need of in your life. It may be that you're going through something in your life and you simply need somebody to come and sit down and pray with you. The deacon's task is essentially the essence of the spiritual greatness that Jesus Christ himself speaks of when he says, he who would be great among you, let him be your servant. 
And finally, there is the deacon's reward. One who serves as a deacon gains two rewards, and it's the only rewards that are given for an office that are in this life. And the first one for a deacon is that they will gain a good standing for themselves. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then secondly is great confidence in the faith. Great confidence in the faith. This simply refers to boldness of speech. Do you remember what happened with the early New Testament church? They're struggling. We looked at that last week. One set of widows were being ignored. The other set of widows were living quite well. But what ended up happening? You had seven men who were selected by the church. They come together. They take care of the needs. God blesses the church. They have all things in common. But what ends up happening? Some of those men actually suffered persecution. Some of them suffered martyrdom. The first one being the first martyr of the church, and that was Stephen himself. Can you imagine being selected to be deacon in the church and you think your main responsibility is to be able to stir the dust? Or to be able to serve tables and yet two, three weeks later you find yourself being stoned? Wait a minute, that wasn't in the job description when you called me. One commentator noted this at the end of this section on deacons. Those who serve God well and see his power and grace operative in their lives will be emboldened for even greater service. Do you long for greater service? Are you willing to be faithful right where you're at with what you have, with what he has given you? I know I've heard my dad say this. I've heard others, my missions professors. I remember them saying, you know, you don't think that you will ever go and serve on a mission field or in a pastorate somewhere if you're not willing to serve without being a pastor or a missionary or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. Those things come to those who wait, to those who are willing to serve Christ with what he has given them. It may be that you may not have the talent or you may not have the resources to do some of those things yet, but you will one day in the future if you are willing to submit to what God has for you. That's the joy of Christian service. You never know what God will have in store for you. Some of the greatest missionaries never set out to be a great missionary. Some of them didn't even start out to be a missionary, but they were faithful. I'll close with this illustration. If you know the account of the five missionaries who went down in January of 1956 to Ecuador, those of you who may know the account, these five men went down to Ecuador to serve the Lord, to reach out to an unreached people tribe or people group called the Alka Indians. Their name actually is the Waldonis. They never even got to visit a Waldani village. But in January of 1956, five men 
five young men who were willing to leave their families, the comforts of home, who left everything, were speared to death on the banks of the Kure River. Today, there are thriving churches all over the Waodani people tribes. Why? Because five men were willing to be faithful, even though they never spoke a word of the language, even though they never got to see a first convert. And ultimately, one of the men who actually was there and speared those missionaries actually became a faithful believer and a servant in the church. And he recognized that God forgave him. One of those young men, Jim Elliott, wrote in the front of his Bible, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think if we're going to be a faithful church, there are some things maybe that each one of us are going to have to be willing to give up that are only temporary, they're only earthly. And we're going to have to look to eternity. Amen. Stand with me if you will. We're going to have the benediction here in just a moment. If we could have brother, where's brother Doug at? Brother Doug, if some of our men could come up, if you would like to contribute to the work of the Lord here, you're welcome to do so, or you can also place an offering in the box uh, on either side of the congregation. But thank you for being willing to serve even in this area. Those missionaries that we support would not be able to do it without faithful churches like us who are giving. So be faithful as well to them. Father, we give thanks for the offering this morning. We give thanks for your many blessings. We give thanks that you have called us to be servants. And in our day and age, our culture doesn't like servants. We have to be at the top. We have to want the best of everything. And instead, we must be willing to be like the master who was willing even in the garden and said, Lord, Father, not my will, but yours be done. May we be faithful. Thank you, Father, for the day. May the word that has been shared today encourage our hearts to be the kind of servant that you desire us to be, whether we ever have a title or not. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.